0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on his yoke. We are pressing into his promise
1: of true life. Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew 20, one to 6. Uh, Matthew 20, chapter 1. I mean chapter Matthew 20, 1 to 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the liturgy package, the scriptures in the liturgy package. Hear now the word of God. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them out into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, He saw others standing in the marketplace, doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed that they would get more, but they also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. And he replied to one of them, friend, am I, doing you no, uh, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree? with me on one denarius take what's yours and go i want to give this last man the same as i gave you don't i have a right to do what i want with what is mine are you jealous because i'm generous so the last will be first and the first will be last this is the word of the lord thanks be to god uh
0: let's pray uh heavenly father we want to just thank you for your goodness, uh, your grace, allowing us to meet this morning. I've been just, we're just so thankful for your word. Um, Lord, your word is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, I pray that this morning that we leave encouraged, convicted, and changed. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Today I have the privilege of continuing our Matthew series. Uh, We will be starting at Matthew 20. But before we continue, we'll have to go back a few weeks. So Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16, Pastor James preached on this two weeks ago. It says, there was a rich man who approached Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, if you wish, to enter life, keep the commandments. The young rich ruler is like, which ones? Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not, not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the rich young ruler responds, of course, I've kept all those. What else do I need to do? Then Jesus goes straight after this man's true treasure, his possessions. He tells the man Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So Jesus offers this ruler the opportunity of a lifetime, eternal life, eternal treasure in heaven. But because this man was so attached and clouded by his earthly possessions, the rich young ruler left sorrowfully, holding tight to his possessions, yet it was his possessions that kept him in bondage. Jesus then tells the disciples that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Pastor James mentioned that in those days, many Jews viewed wealth as uh, evidence of God's blessing and favor. So the disciples were greatly astonished and concerned because if this rich man can enter the heaven, who can? So they rightfully asked, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are, help me out, possible. Then Peter, in verse 27, on the behalf of all the disciples, said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? See, Jesus acknowledges that the disciples will indeed receive rewards in heaven. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or mothers or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So if I'm a disciple, this is great news. All of our hard work and sacrifice will surely pay off. But Jesus continues... In verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And so now we have the parable. It's important to note that this parable is a continuation of Jesus' response to Peter in verse 27. Remember, Peter responded, "See, we have left everything and followed you. Then what will we have?" So before we get into the parable, just a quick reminder: pop quiz about parables. Um, Moses foot Now I'm joking. Parables are earthly stories illustrating heavenly truths. So parables are earthly stories illustrating heavenly truths. Parables were meant to reveal and conceal at the same time. By reveal, I mean Jesus spoke in parables to reveal truths about the kingdom of heaven and about Jesus. And by conceal, Jesus told parables in a way that concealed the truths of the kingdom to those who are rebellion against it. So now let's finally take a closer look and Matthew chapter 20 to see what truth Jesus is revealing to his followers so we start off in verse 1 for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard so here the word master can be translated as householder um, landowner and first century Palestine it is pretty common for a man to own a house the land and use that land for agricultural purposes. So here we see that this man owned a vineyard. So for those who know nothing about farming like myself, a vineyard is simply an area of land where grape vines or grapes are grown mainly to produce wine. So owning a vineyard was a financially rewarding yet risky business because once the grapes are ripe, they need to be harvested immediately. So the landowner went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So during this time, the typical place to hire day laborers were in the marketplace, and that's probably where he went. In D.A. Carson's commentary on Matthew, he states, we should probably understand that day laborers are somewhat poor and needy. Those who belong to a household, such as slaves and hired servants, had the security of membership in a household unit, but the agricultural laborers Working for daily wages had nothing of that sort. They depended for their livelihood on being hired each and every day. So just an illustration, this reminds me of when I was a kid back in Jersey. I would tag along with my dad when he would go to the home improvement stores. And on a particular side street off the main road, there would be a multitude of men from all walks of life. Um, as the customers left the home improvement store, you would see them slowly drive down the side street. And then and sometimes you see them stop, have a conversation. Guys hop in and they're, they're off. So as a child, it didn't really resonate what was taking place. But like in this parable, those men were like the laborers waiting for work. So picture that. Can you imagine having to get up each morning looking to get hired for the day? You thought interviews were bad. Each morning looking for work, not just for your livelihood, but also for your families. Your survival depended on getting work. And unfortunately, that was not always guaranteed. So imagine going through this daily grind. Imagine the stress, the pressure of having to provide for your family. Imagine the days of disappointment. Watching the hours go by 6 a.m., 9, noon, 3, 5, 6. And as you continue to wait in the marketplace, Imagine coming home empty-handed, having to look your family in the eye. For these day laborers, finding daily work was essential for their survival. So going back to verse 2, so of course the landowner had no trouble finding these day laborers in the marketplace. So he finds workers after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius. A denarius the basically the typical day's wage, so it was a fair price the master offers a fair wage for the day laborers, and they agree, and they are sent off to the vineyard. So when we look at the hours in, these, in, this, um, in this parable, um, depending on your, your translation, so as they um, discuss the hours, so the, the typical workday would be from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So this first group of laborers that are hired, they started their work in the vineyard, 6 a.m. in the morning. So just keep that in mind. So. Then the, labor, then the landowner heads back to the marketplace around 9 a.m. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So maybe the landowner miscalculated how many laborers he would need for his vineyard or was looking to have his, job, his day job completed quicker. So he finds others still waiting in the marketplace, waiting for work. This time, a specific wage is not mentioned, but the, the landowner agrees to pay the workers whatever is right. So being already three hours behind on the workday, the workers agree and head to the vineyard. Then the landowner goes back to the marketplace at noon and again at 3 p.m. Remember, owning a vineyard is a risky business, so he's probably dealing with an abundance of grapes that are ready for harvesting. So he does the same with these workers. He hires them, promises them a a right wage, and um, they head to the vineyard. And then the landowner goes back to the marketplace a fifth time. I think this landowner needs to invest in a minivan. Um, back and forth, the fifth time, it's five o'clock, the 11th hour, and surprisingly enough, he finds workers, from what it looks like, who've been waiting all day for work. And so unlike the other encounters with the earlier workers that seem more transactional, the landowner seems to show concern for this group of people. He takes his time to ask, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. At this point, it doesn't really make sense to hire anyone. Um, what can really be done in one hour? Your vineyard's are already full of workers. The workday is basically over. What is the point? So not taking my advice, the landowner hires the last group of workers at the very last hour. So it is now evening and the workday has come to an end. The landowner tells the manager of the vineyard to pay the workers their wages starting from last to first. So picture, try to picture a line of people, all the workers starting with the last group. So we have the 5 p.m. group, 3 p.m., 12, 9, and then the 6 a.m. crew. I can see the manager giving the first 5 p.m. worker a silver coin. They look down and they realize they received a denarius, a full day's wage. Can you imagine their shock? They're surprised. They probably thought maybe, maybe this was a mistake, but I'm going to go anyway. Then the manager proceeds to hand the denarius to the, each 5 p.m. worker. See, this is no accident. So to put it in context, so picture, imagine receiving your check, your weekly check or weekly check, and you look at the amount, and it is 12 times the amount. It's not too hard to picture the reaction. This is probably right right about the time I would have a kid show me their reaction just to show the excitement of receiving a check 12 times the amount. You probably would start planning. You probably wouldn't even contact your, your supervisors. You just carry on. So I'm sure we can imagine them being so overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude, thanking the landowner and celebrating. I can see it now. The 6 p.m. crew, the so 6 a.m. crew, all the way in the back of the line, Looking over, wondering what the excitement is all about, the 9 a.m. crew looks back. The last group, they came so late. They came so late, received a full denarius. Can you believe that? The 6 a.m. workers, amongst each other, probably with great excitement. Hey, if, if they got paid a denarius, imagine what we will get. Doesn't that sound familiar? We've been here from the very beginning, working all day. Imagine what we will get. As the line gets shorter, and the 6 a.m. workers approach the manager hoping to receive 12 denarii. Denari- Is the plural? Fact check, somebody. They, they are handed a denarius and thinking, just so probably, all right, here's a denarius. How am I going to carry all these denarius? And then the manager proceeds to give the other workers a denarius. So verse 11 says, And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only an hour. You've made them equal to us. How dare you make them equal to us? Are you kidding me? We've been here all day, did most of the work in the scorching heat, and you have the nerve to compensate us equally. We deserve better. It kind of reminds me of an illustration. How do you guys feel about group projects? Any fans of group projects? We got Terrell. (laughs) Everyone loves group projects, right, Terrell? One of the most (laughs) frustrating parts about group projects, besides trying to decide a time to meet up, is having that one person that has that little input and you have to carry their weight. So everyone ends up doing more work, but when it's grading time, everybody gets that same grade. So you get an A, but Instead of being excited about the A, you're just, I'm trying to use a kid-friendly word, disappointed <laughs> about receiving, about this, this last person that did nothing receiving an A. So we can kind of relate to how these laborers may be feeling. The early laborers felt cheated. If this happened in your workplace, you better believe your employer would hear about it. We're talking working strikes, union strikes, lawsuits, going to the media. So though the 6 a.m. through the 6 a.m. groups grumbling, they're basically essentially telling the owner this is not fair. So the landowner kindly replies, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't we agree on one denarius? That's exactly what you receive. There is no injustice here. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to be generous and give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not called to, am I not allowed to do what I choose, with what belongs to me? Who are you to tell me what to do with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? And then the parable ends. So the last will be first and the first last. So what does this all mean and what does it mean for us? So it's safe to say that we all know who the landowner represents. Anybody? God good job. So let's be clear. Jesus isn't sharing principles on how to run a Fortune 500 company. Rather, he's showing the principles on which God receives people in his kingdom. If I can sum up the parable in one sentence, it would be God's sovereign grace is surprising and is more abundant than what anyone would expect. Again, God's sovereign grace is surprising and more abundant than what anyone would expect. So let's Unpack that. God's grace is sovereign. And John Stott's commentary on the message of Matthew, he comments on on the unusual landowner. He says, there's something strange about this employer. He really cares about the down and the outs. He could have sent an employee to the marketplace, but instead he goes out himself. Indeed, he goes out repeatedly to seek them. They are hungry, unemployed, and as the days wear on, increasingly hopeless. He cares about them. He wants to give them a job of of work and a reward, an unusual employer. And going back to Matthew 19, verse 25, when the disciples asked, who then can be saved? Remember, Jesus looked at them and told them, with man, that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So what does that mean? So apart from the landowner, the laborers are hopeless. They are helpless. So for us, apart from God and his grace, we are hopeless. Apart from God, we have no chance in heaven. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, the landowner wasn't obligated to give this job opportunity to the laborers. The same way God wasn't obligated to extend forgiveness to sinners like you and me. The salvation of anyone is due to God's grace alone. In Psalm 135, it says, the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in the depths. And also in in, um, Romans, Paul recounts God's conversation with Moses regarding Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This could be a hard saying, but we are reminded through this parable that God does whatever he pleases, but also God is perfect in justice and perfect in grace. So for the laborers, in verse 12, we witnessed that this was a hard pill for them to swallow. Now, that is why God's sovereign grace is surprising. Who here loves surprises? Anybody? Anybody? Got about four, five. I only love surprises only one condition, if it's benefic- beneficial for me. So when the 11th hour workers were compensated a full day's wage, this was a, a surprise that the early workers didn't appreciate because in their eyes, this was not fair and it didn't make sense. They got one of the two right. It truly doesn't make sense. A sinful being, the truth for sinful beings, the truth of the kingdom of heaven will leave us scratching our heads. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive to the ways of the world. The concept of God's grace makes no sense. Sorry, the concept of God's grace, it does make sense up here. But then in our actions and in our response, it says otherwise. So I believe Jesus told and used parables not only to reveal truths about the kingdom but also to reveal if if his followers truly grasp what he's teaching. When we read the parable, who do you naturally resonate with? Who resonates with the 6 a.m. worker? The ones that came early and got cheated. Oh, you guys, you guys know the answer, you guys. Who resonates with the last group of people? Nobody, okay. (laughs) So we're prone to resonate with the earlier group because that just shows and sheds light on our human nature. Though the point of this parable is to highlight God's great generosity to underserving people, I also believe Jesus used this parable as a to use it as a, a reminder and a warning to his disciples, a reminder that everything that they've done and everything that they've received on heaven and on earth and in the new earth is only by the grace of God. And that is true with us as well. The apostle Paul hits the nail right on the head by But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, the apostles, yet not I, but by the grace of God that is within me. Here's another version that makes more sense. (laughs) But whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without result. For I have worked harder than all the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by His grace. So this needs to be our perspective as we, when we uh, approach serving. We don't serve in order to receive praise, status, salvation, rewards. We serve with the heart of gratitude in response to God's grace. Another reminder is that no matter your pedigree, seasoned follower of Christ should not look down on new converts. Whether you've been serving the Lord for decades or for days, Don't think too highly of yourself. We have one thing in common. We are both undeserving sinners saved by grace. We are all at the same level at the foot of the cross. And now for the warning is that as Christians, we must not resent God's gifts towards others. This one's a hard one. Um, In the second question of verse 15, the landowner asks his grumbling workers, Do you begrudge my generosity? That's a weird phrase. The literal translation is, Is your eye evil or is your eye bad towards God's generosity to others? So John Piper describes this phrase phrase perfectly. A bad eye refers to an eye that cannot see the beauty of grace. It cannot see the brightness of generosity. It cannot see unexpected blessings to others as precious treasures. It is an eye that is blind to what is truly beautiful and bright. And precious and godlike, it is a worldly eye. It sees money and material reward as more to be desired than the beauty display, the beautiful display of free, gracious, godlike generosity. So honestly, when I read that, I had to close out my book and go for a walk, and like, I'll get back to this because this is a hard, tough pill to pill to swallow. Because in most cases, what makes it difficult for us to see the beauty of God's grace towards others. It's because the blessings that others are receiving are the things that we're praying about, things we're praying for. Just like the 6 a.m. laborers, I often fail to see the goodness of God's grace and compassion towards others. It always comes back to what about me? How come I don't have that career, those giftings, those finances, that lifestyle, those opportunities, car, house, family, relationship, community, list goes on. And it is not wrong to have those desires. Continue to pray for them. Just don't let what you don't have blind you from what you have been given and how God's been faithful to you. I'll say that again. Don't let what you have blind you from what you have been given and how God's been faithful to you. So the question is, is your eye bad? Is your eye evil? Is it hard for you to see the beauty of God's grace and his generosity towards others? Piper says, pray that God will give you a good eye and awaken you from the blindness of the bad eye. This brings us to the, the final part. God's sovereign grace is surprising and more abundant than anything, we would, than anything anyone would ever expect. So it's hard not to miss God's abundant generosity with the, the last hour workers. But if we begin to see God's abundant generosity and the workers that started at 6 AM, we begin to realize our absolute dependence on God's sovereign, surprising, abundant grace. So in closing, when I look at this parable, I see the gospel, I see God's grace. I see undeserving sinners in desperate need of God's grace. I see me, I see you. From the world's perspective, The kingdom of God is upside down and it doesn't make sense. The rich are poor. The poor are rich. Salvation is not of our works, but our works are a product of our salvation. So James talked about this great reversal. We see the ultimate reversal in, in a holy God sending his perfect son to die for sinful people who were deserving of his wrath. He showed us mercy and unleashed his perfect justice, his wrath on his perfect son. Jesus died for our sins, rose on the third day, and is currently seated on his throne with all authority and power. So you are not too bad, and you are not too good to enter his kingdom. And it is not too late to enter as well. So my prayer for you, if you have not accepted Christ, you have not repented, accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't wait. Don't wait till the last hour. If you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to me. You can talk to anybody here. We'll gladly talk, talk with you, pray with you, and I'll just help you move forward in your walk with Christ. So let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you for uh, your word and just this reminder that everything that we have, um, all that we are is because of your grace. Lord, I'm, we we're just overwhelmed by your goodness towards us. Lord, we pray that you would just shield us from having a bad eye. Help us to see your grace and goodness and how you've lavished blessings on others. We pray for those that, that don't know you, Lord. I pray that we can um, see this world with the right perspective uh, through the vision of your upright kingdom in this upside down world. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr. Lead Pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God
1: bless.